0: This message is a ministry of Plainville Baptist Church, www.plainvillebaptistchurch.org.
1: If you would just please join me in prayer. (laughs) Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you are in control of everything. Lord, I thank you for your word that we can live off of and And feed our soul, Lord God. And I pray that you be with Pastor Dave as he speaks this morning. Lord, allow us just to get rid of all the different distractions and thoughts in our hearts and minds, Lord, so that we can focus on you. Lord, you deserve everything that we have and everything that we give you. Lord, we just pray that you just bless us this morning. Teach us what you want us to hear. In your most precious name we pray. Amen. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Titus chapter 1. We're going to look at the introduction of this letter this morning, the first four verses. Uh, As you're turning there, let me just say two things. Uh, Today is the 22nd of January. It's the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. And um, if we understand the significance of that, and I wrote a little bit in the pastor's page this week, but just the, the 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 largeness of that and i and i compared it to the um memorial wall the vietnam memorial uh has about 500 names on it it's about 500 feet long uh in memory of those 58,000 people who died in the vietnam war and uh, if we had a similar war for all i mean a similar plaque for all of those killed in this war these babies that were destroyed, the the wall would be 105 miles long or so uh, with these children's names if they had names. And we have to recognize um, what a travesty that is. It's a uh, Pearl Harbor every day throughout the year. And yet, We don't see that or understand it. So let me encourage you to pray that what is immoral would be unconscionable as well. The hearts of people would love life instead of death. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ... For the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time manifested even his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus our Savior. As we look at this introduction that Paul gives us, it tells us a lot about Paul. Again, Paul is writing to Titus as we described this last week, one of his disciples, one of his protégés that he taught that went along with him in ministry. And now he's sending him off to Crete to um, help with the establishment of these churches that were started uh, but needed some encouragement in their settling, in their founding. And so there's four things we're going to notice in these verses. And the first thing we understand about Paul is his irrevocable calling. His irrevocable calling. He describes himself here. He answers two questions. Number one, who is Paul? Who is Paul? And what is his purpose? Who's Paul? And what is his purpose? And so as he says this, he describes himself, and we have to know his background. If you're not familiar with who Paul the Apostle is, uh, he was a very zealous Jewish man. He was a leader of one of the strictest uh, religious groups of of um, Israel at that time, of Judaism, the Pharisees, and um, uh, his his importance in this time, not only in the early church of who he was, uh, but he persecuted the church. He was so zealous for his brand of religion that those Jews who became Christians, he sought to persecute. He sought to destroy, lock up, and kill. And so perhaps you you recognize or remember or know of his spectacular conversion. He was on one of these trips to be able to destroy more Christians in Damascus, in in what's today Syria. And uh, on his way, in the the bright sun of that desert area, brighter than the noonday sun, Jesus Christ appeared to him, knocking him off his mount and uh, knocking to the ground those people that were with him. He began to talk to Paul and showed Paul, Jesus Christ showed Paul that he was the Messiah. He was the Jewish Savior so that Paul would receive him, his conversion in that way, and um, through the rest of the book of Acts, we see his part in the gospel ministry, bringing the gospel to nearly the whole Roman world uh, in that in a, in a short span of time, in a, in a very short span of time. Uh, yet, as important as his service for Jesus Christ was, he designates himself by two very insignificant terms. That I think they're important for us to in, uh, understand and embrace as those who know Christ. And so the first term he describes himself by is a slave. He calls himself a servant, a slave of God. Now this is significant because he's recognizing that he's taking his direction solely from God. Uh, He didn't follow his own will. He didn't care to follow his own will. And his attitude in concerning this was, I really want to obey what God says. It wasn't like, well, you know what? I, I'm going to do this thing today. I hope that's okay with you, God, because I'm on my way to do it now. That's not how slaves operated. And in, in, the, in, in the Roman world, people understood that. I think there were... Uh, millions of slaves in the Roman world, and Paul, Paul could easily speak of himself as a slave of God, and people would know what he meant. He didn't make his own decisions in what he was doing. Um, he reported to the master, and the master told him, what he was going to do. Now, in the Roman world, slaves were often given leeway to make their decisions as to how they would accomplish what was necessary to carry out the will of the master. But it was always at the discretion of their Lord. If you remember in Acts chapter 16, Paul and his group were going out sharing the gospel and uh, they went to one particular, they tried to go to one particular area and it says the Lord stopped them. And they said, well, let's try this. And they went to another area. And it says the, uh, the, the Lord Jesus forbade them. And that very night, Paul had, had a vision of this man from Macedonia who said, come and help us. Right There was probably on their mind, why can't we go here, Lord? Why can't we go there? And God showed him, because I want you to go over here. And because of that, because he was obedient to the Lord, because if he wanted to follow his will, the gospel came into Europe. The gospel was brought into Europe. And so Paul called himself God's slave. He was under God's direction, what God had wanted him to do. Secondly, he acknowledges that he was sent. He was not only a slave, but he was sent. He calls himself an apostle. In the technical sense, Jesus uses the word apostle To designate those 12 individuals he called and set aside and sent out to witness of his resurrection. But the word was also uh, used in a non-official sense. There were other non-official apostles besides those 12 who would be one day ruling on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. There was a non-official sense the word was used. Both Paul and Barnabas were called apostles because they were sent out from the church at Antioch. They too were apostles, and others were called apostles, perhaps in the sense of doing that work, of witnessing missionary work uh, sent out by the church in Jerusalem. They were called apostles. And so Paul, even though he wasn't one of the original apostles, he was sent specifically by Jesus Christ to do his work. And so he calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ. A slave and one who was sent as an apostle. In other words, Paul had a mission. Paul had a mission. He wasn't he wasn't living aimlessly. He was sent out by Jesus Christ, doing his work. So what was his perfect? What, what was his purpose? Here in verse one, Paul describes his purpose. That wasn't aimless, that wasn't without God's direction. And he says it's these two things. Number one, to serve the people of God. He says, for the faith of those chosen of God, it was to serve the people of God. He's the servant. For the faith of those chosen. God sent him to bring people to faith and encourage them to walk in faith. He was sent to bring people to know Jesus Christ, to receive Christ as their Savior, to trust in Him, and to walk in that faith. To carry out their life in that faith. You know, Paul uses some some of these words in Acts chapter 14. He's, uh, he's described as telling people, hey, continue in the faith. Yeah, yeah. He's encouraging them, those who have trusted Christ, continue in the faith. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 5, he says, Listen, I was set as an apostle to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. I'm, I'm encouraging them to walk in faith. And in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Paul says, Stand firm in the faith. As he closes his letter to the Corinthians, he tells them, Stand firm in the faith you have in Jesus Christ. Don't walk away from that faith that you have. And so we have to understand when Paul talks about faith, when he talks about believing what God has done for us in Jesus Christ through His death and resurrection, we have to understand what Paul is saying is not this It's not, faith is not whatever I want to believe. You know, I believe something and that's my faith. No, faith, Christian faith, is based on what the Scripture says. It's based on the truth of the Word. It's not just what I come up with, what I believe. If you believe it, you can conceive it. If you conceive it, you can believe it and receive it. Not anything like that. It's what God says is the faith. That's why it's described as the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And so it, it's not just believing whatever I want. It's found in the Word. It's also not a leap in the dark. Well, I, I just don't know exactly what's out there. I'm just going to believe and j- jump into the dark. It's not a leap in the dark. It's, it, it's, it's not just it's not don't think, just believe. They're not opposite to each other. And, and if, you, if you think that, you're not understanding genuine faith. It is about thinking, thinking through what the Scripture says. Um, and, and, and it's not um, opposed to reason. It's not opposed to reason. The Scripture says in Isaiah chapter 1, Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they're crimson, they'll be like wool. And so it, it's not about, with, it, it's not opposed to reason. It's not opposed to thinking. Um, Paul told the Corinthians to stand firm in their faith so that they would go to the Word of God and strengthen their faith. People lose faith because they refuse to engage the reasoning in the word. Um, It's not true when people say, well, I thought too much about my faith and I lost my faith. Where's the source of your faith? It's in the word of God. And so we read, you know, you come up with tough questions, wrestle through the tough questions, but wrestle through them in the word, that's where we're to do this. It's, it's when we don't think enough about the faith that we lose the faith. We, we neglect the Word of God. We begin to think like the world. And so Paul is saying, I am here to serve the people of God, to bring them to faith, to see that they are encouraged to walk in the faith. But he has another purpose here, to set forth the truth of the Word of God. To set forth the truth of the word of God. There there can be no other way to help God's people except through the Word. You know, the, the, the gospel, Paul says here in this in this verse that the gospel has a particular bent. It has a particular bent. He says, the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness. There's a particular bent in the gospel. We have to see and recognize that. Uh, It directs people, the gospel directs people to live godly in Christ Jesus. That's why Paul uses that phrase so often, to direct people to live godly in Christ Jesus. Godly means that you seek to follow God. Actually, the L-Y ending, we use it often in in many things, means godlike, to be like God. I mean, think about how we use that in other places, beggarly. Right? What is that? You're acting like a beggar, uh, beastly. Well, you, oh, he's acting like a beast, right? He's beastly. He's being beastly. Um, there, there are all kinds of word neighborly. Well, that person is acting awfully neighborly. they are acting like a neighbor, right? So when Paul says that the gospel, the, the word of truth is according to godliness, it's that God is calling us to follow him to be like Him, to see how He, to think like He thinks. That's why the Scripture says we're to be renewing our mind, to thinking like God, the way God thinks. We're to be loving the way that God loves. The just and the unjust, people who are easy to get along with and people who are not. The just, the unjust, the Scripture says God loves all people. The just and the unjust, He sends the sun and the rain upon all He gives what's good to all. He loves. We need to love like He loves. That's why Paul says the goal of our instruction is love. He doesn't say anywhere else. The goal of anything else in what we're doing and instructing people is anything else but love. The goal of our instruction is love. We should be seeking to be filled up, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, to be filled up with the Holy Spirit so that we're filled up with all the fullness of God in that way. And, and Paul describes for us in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, if anyone advocates a different doctrine, that, uh, that doctrine that does not conform to godliness, he's conceited, he understands nothing, he has a morbid interest in controversial questions, disputes about words. So there, here it is, it, it's, it's specifically set to call us the gospel has a bent toward godliness. So the question we ask now, how is it that Paul knew who he was as God's servant, as God's apostle? How could he eagerly serve God's people with the truth of the word of God? And that brings us to the solid foundation that he is based on in chapter 2. He says, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. Paul's hope was based on this unyielding footing that will not fail. He has a solid foundation in in which he is resting, on which he is resting. Remember, as we look at this, he says, the hope of eternal life. Hope is a confident expectation It's a a noun here. It's not a verb. It's not, I wish this would happen or I hope that is the case. No, no, no. It's, It's a confident expectation. Paul is able to rest in the security of his salvation because of these two things that Paul mentions in this verse. Number one, God's present truthfulness. He says, in the hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie and Here, I love how it reads literally, because it says, God who cannot lie, the unlying God promised. That's his character. See, you know, if you talk about somebody, well, he doesn't lie, we say, well, we understand people, all people lie, right? But what, you know, he's he's mainly truthful. But here, God is the unlying God. It goes down to his very nature. He cannot lie. It's down to his, into his being. Paul is not worried that somehow God is going to change his mind about eternal life. He's not concerned that God's going to add another requirement to this. Sorry, Paul. Um, you're going to go to hell now because I just added a different change to how your uh, liturgy is supposed to be. It's not, it's not it. He's the unchanging God. and As a matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 6, he describes this uh, in the same way God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose to save people. What did he do? He interposed with an oath. God is there and he said, I swear by... Whoop, he can't put his hand on the Bible because he's greater than the Bible... He can't put, I swear by myself. No one's greater than God. He swears by himself, I'm taking an oath that I'm not going to change what this promise is to people who will trust Jesus Christ. What does he he say then? He says in in Hebrews, so that by two unchangeable things, number one, it's impossible for God to lie. Number two, he took an oath saying he would not change it. Just in case you were worried that he... Might lie. He didn't have to do that and take an oath. He's already the unlying God, but he took an oath to say, I'm not going to change this. What? So that we who have taken refuge in Jesus would have strong encouragement to take hold of the eternal hope, to, to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul. And where is the anchor? See, when you're set, when your ship is set and the anchor is set and it's firm, you're safe. And where's this anchor set? In heaven. The anchor is set in heaven. We ain't going nowhere except heaven. And so he describes that for us. And so this is the foundation Paul has. In which he can rest. Why am, I, why am I doing this? Why am I ministering people to, to people to the the word of God? Because I have this foundation, this, this footing that will not move. The unlying God. So we see God's present truthfulness is one foundation he has. The second one is God's ancient promises. So he says, which God promised long ages ago. See, God promised us long ages ago all this to come about Jesus. We mentioned a few last week. We said right at the very beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned, God gave them a promise that I'm sending a Messiah. Right from the very beginning. So the world could have hope. And then he continued to do this. But some of the the most fascinating prophecies that he spoke long ago deal with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you can read them and, and, and you look at them and they're not these Nostradamus-like vague things that, that talk about something that could be and you can kind of interpret it in the way you want. I, some years ago, I, I, I was uh, with some people and, and, and I was trying to show them that God has set these things in His Word that we might rest in Him. And I, and I just opened up to Psalm 22, and I read this, and I said, tell me this, Let me, I'm going to ask you a question, tell me what this is about. And so they were listening, and I read this, I read a, a few verses from Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All who see me sneer at me, they separate with the lip, they wag their head saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look. They stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. And I said, well, what was that about? Well, I said, well, that's about Jesus. What about Jesus? Well, it, it talked about his crucifixion. I said, do you realize that that was written a thousand years before Jesus was ever physically born into the world? God's ancient promises have been given to us. You see this and understand that eternal life comes through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. And it will not be altered, it will not be rescinded. There's not something added to this. It's the promise based on faith and repentance for the forgiveness of your sin. That's the good news. Do you, do you understand this? Paul said, I didn't come to baptize. As important as baptism is, he said, I didn't come to baptize, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. He said, I'm not coming to change the social structure and have a social agenda because it's the power of God through the gospel that saves. And and understand this. It's this faith in what Jesus did for you that is freeing. I grew up in religion, but it wasn't freeing. It was a burden. It was, I've got to do more. I've I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And then at the end of the day, I could never know whether I had eternal life or not. It was, it was this ba- based on what I was doing. And so the, the, okay, it's time for you, wake up for your naps, guys. Please get up. Um, it was what Jesus Christ did for me. And when I found that, when I found out what Christ did, and how He washed away all my sin. How he, how he took it all away when I called upon Him. That burden was removed. That burden was taken away. And so we need to see and understand that. We need to recognize what Jesus Christ has done. And so these promises, what God has done, what He has given, is For us, that we might have a hope of eternal life, not a perhaps of eternal life. Thirdly, we see Paul's undying commitment. We see his undying commitment in verse 3. Here it is. But at the proper time, he manifested his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior. His, His undying commitment was to preach the gospel to people to proclaim the good news that Jesus saves. That was his undying commitment. And his commitment, he describes it here, was entrusted to him, first of all. It was entrusted to him as someone who is faithful. And it's interesting, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, um, God was faithful. Uh, um, God saw that I was faithful and entrusted me with this gospel. Let me, let me just read it here. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. So this was a stewardship that was entrusted to him because, God, because Paul was faithful. And you say, well, how was it that Paul was faithful? Think about this for a second. He was faithful because he persecuted the church. You say, what? Paul was faithful to doing what he thought was right. And God said, I'm going to use your faithfulness in doing what's wrong, and I'm going to change it into doing what's right. Because when God came to him and commissioned him, Paul just got saved. So his faithfulness was based on what he was doing, Even though it was wrong, even though it was persecuting the church, God said, you're faithful to your own convictions, and we're going to change those around a little bit, but I know because you're faithful, I'm going to call you into this service. And so he was faithful. God gave him something that required faithfulness, the gospel. Listen, if you want to serve God, be faithful where you are right now. Is there something you can do? Something you are doing? Be faithful in it. Something you can do? Don't, don't say, I want to do this grandiose. I've had people come to you. I want to do this big old thing. I want to do this huge thing. Just be faithful where you are right now. Just do what you Show up here. Be, be faithful. God will grow that. It's God that does that. Not anybody else. God puts people into service who are faithful. So be faithful where you, where you are. And think about Paul's words in Galatians chapter 1 that describe his faithfulness. In chapter, Galatians 1, he says, listen, if I or an angel from heaven begin to preach another gospel, then what's already been preached, let them be accursed. Paul, it wasn't about Paul. It was about guarding the gospel even against himself. Did you catch that? He said, if I start changing the message, let me be accursed. It's not even about me, he says. If I deviate from the message, reject it. You know, I was called to be fruitful, Paul said. I'm sorry, I was called to be faithful, Paul said. But who alone is faithful except God? God's the only one faithful. And so Paul was setting it up so that if anyone came along, even himself, and changed it, they would understand that the message is what's true, not the messenger. Paul even had to rebuke Peter at one point because he wasn't being truthful. He wasn't being upright, straight with with the gospel. Paul rebuked Peter because he needed to be. And so we see that. And then lastly, this this morning, we see Paul's fatherly concern. Paul's fatherly concern. Paul addresses with Titus in a fatherly manner. He says in verse 4, to Titus, my true child in a common faith. Titus, I'm starting off this letter. And what does he call him? My true child in a common faith. Titus has important work to do. Set in order these churches that are in Crete. Ensure those that he sets up in leadership have the right qualities, have the right training. Safeguard the sheep. But Paul Paul assures him with the tone of a concerned father. He reminds him of the work that needs to be done, but with gentleness and the love of Jesus Christ. You know, what? when I was trained in the military, um, I was screamed at, I was cursed at. Uh, It wasn't with a fatherly concern that I was trained. But here in this warfare, there is no place for that in training others with the gospel. We see that. We understand that. Paul here calls him his true child. Titus, you're my true child in the faith. I think your faith is real. That's what he was saying. I think your faith is real. How does Paul know that? How can anyone know what somebody's faith is, right? That's inside. Are they truly, do they truly understand? Oh, they may be able to speak clearly of having received. But do I know that? No, God's the judge of that Ultimately. I mean, we can, we can ask questions like, a, like a, a doctor probes about a condition. You know, is it sensitive here? Is this here? You know, we can ask and we can talk and we can see to encourage one another in our faith. But I don't know about you. I, I, there are many, many of you here that I say, I know. I know you. You, you are Christ's. But do I fully know that? No, you could be faking me out, right? You certainly could. For whatever reason, I don't know why, but here it is. He says, you're a, tra- How, you know, Judas, think about Judas. The 11 were convinced he was the real deal, but he was a turncoat and a traitor, right? So Paul says to Titus, I believe in the gospel you are a legitimate son, Titus, I can't say this about others, there's Demas, you know, I think he may be saved, but he's gone off to Thessalonica, he's forsaken me and left. I don't know, I hope so. <laughs> then he says there were those that, that are now enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction. They were following, I don't, I don't know what happened to them, but Titus, I know you, I know Timothy, you guys, you're, you're, true, you're true children in the faith of mine. But then he says, listen, you have a co- we have a common faith. You're a true child in the common faith. You know, we're in this together, Titus. We're not on different sides. Don't let the devil divide us. Sometimes those in the church need to be reminded we're on the same side. We're seeking to carry out the gospel together. We need to recognize that. So let me ask you this. Are you a slave of God? Are you a servant of God? Have you said, God, you direct my will. You direct me in what you want me to do. Lord, show me what I need to be doing. I want to carry out your will. You know, there's no greater joy than just to surrender to God. God, I just want to be your servant. I just want to follow you. I remember years ago, I just said, God, I don't know much. I just want to In this visual picture, I wasn't looking for Jesus to come down, okay? I I said, Lord, I just want to hold on to your cloak and follow where you're going. Do we have that heart? Do you have that heart? Are you you Christ's? Have you received Christ as your Savior? Do you have the heart to be a servant? God, whatever you want me to do, I'll just do this. Wherever you want me to go, Lord, I'll just do this. I know I can trust you. Are you a servant? You surrendered yourself to him? Have you surrendered and said, Lord, I want to be in your service? I've served the the world long enough. I want to be in your service. I just want to serve you in whatever way I can. Have you been faithful to God? Be faithful in the little things. And then watch him open up other areas that you can serve him. But maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ. You've never received Christ as your Savior. There's never been a time when you put your faith in Jesus Christ to wash away your sin. You've never turned to Him and said, Lord, I need your salvation. I need you to save me. And maybe hearing this this morning as I, as I spoke about the gospel, that it's Jesus Christ, death and resurrection, paying for your sin, And that if you call upon Him, He'll save you. Maybe you never heard that before. Maybe you thought you can get to heaven by just doing good things. You never understood that it was Jesus and Jesus alone that saves. Maybe you're here today and you need to receive Him as your Savior. As we close the service this morning, maybe you need to say, you know what, I'm going to come forward. You come. You need to be saved, you come. There'll be someone here to pray with you, to lay out for you the gospel, to show you that you can be born again today. You can have eternal life as a gift by His grace that's in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You, Lord, as we see a little glimpse of the heart of the Apostle Paul, who he is. Lord, though he was a great man, he was humble. He was only your servant. He was only your sent one. And so, God, may we have hearts like that, humble, ready to listen and hear you. Father, if there's someone who's just not surrendered to say, I want to just honor you, I want to do everything you, you tell me to do, Lord, might they just say, Lord, today, I've surrendered. Maybe they've already surrendered in their heart. They've already said, Lord, that's what I want to be. I want to be that person. Maybe, Lord, there's someone here who needs you as their Savior. Lord, may you work in their hearts. Lord, may they come forward and say, I need to be saved. I need to be saved. Lord, might you assure them that they can be saved today. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Please stand. We're going to sing 185, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. When I Survey the Wondrous Cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and poor contempt on all my pride. pride.
1: Do you do you need Christ as your Savior? Would you come this morning? Just come on up here. Somebody'll. Will share with you how you can pray and receive Christ. Would you come as we sing? We'll sing another verse and maybe another as we sing on that next verse. Forbid it, Lord. Forbid
0: it, Lord, that I should boast save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow me. Down did there such love and sorrow meet or oh, Thorns can pose so
1: rich a crown. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, for your mercies to us. Thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. May you work in our hearts through it, O God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by Your Word. Lord, may Your Spirit work in such a way as to make it clear to us. Father, we thank You for this, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.